0: Welcome to Equal Inspired, the inclusive podcast brought to you by Equal IT. Melanie Shatinsky joins us who is a people-centric developer, educator and entrepreneur. Melanie spends her time creating beautiful things whilst giving people the tools to do the same. And Melanie is a real multi-hyphenate who loves the work that she does, whether that's collaborating with a client on a new website, building an educational workshop Or being the co founder of My Code Kit. My Code Kit is on a mission to demystify coding through Occobox. And this is a coding tool which really uses a growth mindset approach to encourage users to experiment without the fear of failure.
1: Hi, thank you for that introduction. Um, It's really good to be here.
0: We would love to know who or what is inspiring you at the moment.
1: So I love this question and I'm going to go with a cliche and I think what's inspiring me is the youth of today because you see the amazing things that they're doing and there's one particular person in mind that comes to mind uh, called Abby uh, who runs a community called Girls Into Coding. She's 14 years old, she started it when she was 10 and she just runs these online and in-person workshops for... With
0: hardware and software, it's just it's just fantastic. Like she's fourteen; that's crazy. I've been following their journey for a long time as well, and it's like you're so right. It's incredible what she's what she's achieved at such a young age. It's it's really amazing. He's fantastic. Thank you for sharing, Melanie. And we would love to learn a little bit more. I guess initially about your journey into tech.
1: So my journey is a little bit of a funny one. Um, I kind of ended up getting into tech. My whole career is built on failure. In all honesty. Um, so when I did my GCSEs, many, many moons ago, I failed to do, uh, computer science. I wanted to do coding, but it wasn't part of the curriculum. And my teacher said, you know, you can't do it. Um, so then I went to do my A-levels. I failed my A-levels. I ended up leaving after a year. I then got my first job and I failed to do the job that they hired me for. Like I, I was this shy, meek, 17 year old and they ended up shoving me upstairs to be, um, basically a PA, uh, to the finance director. And I overheard a conversation one day, which was, we need a CRM system for a bunch of vehicles, um, but nothing is suitable. So very, very naively, I said, I'd done a little bit of coding when I was younger, let's build one. And that's really where my career started. It's kind of a bit terrified of going, do you know what, I don't know how to do that. Um, So I said, yes, they paid me very little, but they gave me
0: a ton of books, and that's where it all started. Um, Yeah, so it was all built on failure. do you know what i'm actually a really big advocate as well of like using your failures to fuel your motivation to succeed and like any adversity it's all a learning experience so it's really refreshing that you've actually mentioned that because i think it's important to normalize failure failure is where we learn and where we grow right
1: yeah well it's it's i think there's a stat out there which says 70 to 80 percent of coding is debugging and testing so that in essence is 70 to 80 percent is failing It's stuff going wrong and then you trying to figure out how to fix it. So yeah, like literally my entire, uh,
0: my job and everything that I do is built on that. Being 17 years old, going into building that CRM, how did you learn to code? And what were some of the pros? What were some of the cons to how you did it? So I was completely
1: self-taught. Um as I say, I kind of got given I was given a budget of books. I didn't really know at the time that there was these courses out there and things that you could do. So I had a uh, this shelf behind me which was probably about 12 books deep and I just kind of learned by doing a project. Um In all honesty when I first came into the dev world I actually found it quite daunting especially as a beginner because being self-taught it meant that I didn't know some of the science that goes behind it or some of the, the professional terminology and it's not that I didn't know it and I couldn't do it it's just when I referred to it people weren't quite sure what I was talking about so it came across maybe that I was a little bit more novice than than I was um but I think it's it was such an interesting process and going through it and doing a project was the best way to do it in all honesty um yeah but then by the time I got to my second job it was absolutely fine and everyone told me that apparently I was a programmer I don't think I believed it until that point until I went to my second job and they were like by the way yeah
0: this is what you do um because I was self-taught I didn't yeah didn't know So what are some myths that you can demystify about being self-taught as well? Because I do feel that still people do hold themselves back because of maybe like some judgments that they might get simply because they are self-taught. So I think that there's a load of myths there around
1: the people that are self-taught coding don't know as much and that's not true, so I I actually did go to university when I was 23, I did a little bit later, and I went because I wanted to train to be a teacher, so I did the formal qualification of computer science, and then did a teaching degree, and um, you know, there is value in going to university, of course there is, I'm not going to sit here and say there isn't, but it's, it's all, it's all just syntax, it's all just syntactical sugar, it's all just, you know, this is called this name, and that's called that. It doesn't really mean anything um and it's the same when you go between programming languages as well which you know i always recommend to people um just pick a language because it's all you know if you do python that's transferable to javascript that's transferable to you know some functional programming language because it's just what you're learning is the problem solving skills rather than you know the the actual this is called this like oh how do you do react
0: like if, if you can code, you can do React. I guess, is it like changing your mindset in, in a way and breaking down that barrier, that fear of judgment, and just throwing yourself in there and learning? It doesn't define you if you haven't had a degree in this space because you can still be just as fantastic, if not even more fantastic, as someone who had a degree, right? It's just about the work you've been doing, the value you've been adding, and the impact. So when in my career,
1: I've worked with people who don't have a degree, I have worked with people who have a chemistry degree, maths degree, came from being a builder. Like, it really doesn't matter. Um, And like you say, it is that mindset. It's that mindset of yet. Like, programming changes so much. So I've been doing it 14 years. And funnily enough, I saw a a comparison. It was like 2015 versus 2021. And all the languages and all the... um, uh, the methodologies and things like that, that were popular in 2015, what I'd spent half my career focusing on that were just redundant, just like that. Um, so it's, it's all, even if you've got that formal qualification, you're just constantly learning anyway. I always like to compare developers to like um, Venn diagrams. Like there's all this stuff that I know and then there's all this stuff that you know and then the tiny, tiny bit in the middle that actually
0: overlaps is is minuscule. That's a really great observation, yeah. And I I think as well, technology is always changing almost as much as the English weather as well, right? There's always something else to learn, something new, a new approach. So I guess really adopting like a continuous learning mindset, do you think that's really valuable for somebody pursuing a career in tech? I think so I think you do have to consistently um,
1: be learning and enjoy it I think that's that's one of the things that I really like about coding um, and and what I do as a job because I am always learning like I'm always learning something new we used to um, since going remotely uh, me and my partner sit next to each other in an office desk and um, until the wall stopped accepting post-it notes because the stickiness went off. But we used to keep the post-it note behind us, which was like all the things that we'd learned that day. And it just, you know, mound up. It was cool.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, learning's a big thing, of course. And you've been in tech for 14 years now. What else do you enjoy about working in tech?
1: I think it's the variety. Um, so you, like I say, you always end up doing something new um, and definitely, uh, well, The thing that I enjoy about tech is actually the thing that I really hate about tech as well, uh, which is the problem solving side of things. Um, Going back to the fact that, you know, it's that 70 to 80%. So you get that real satisfaction of working out a problem, but you also have that massive frustration of, you know, it taking me a day or half a day or two days or however long it is to actually figure out that, what that problem is in the first place, but the payoff is amazing.
0: You are one of 64 Innovative UK Young Innovators Award winners for 2020 and 2021. We would love to learn more about the award and what it entails. Um, So it's an Innovate UK uh, Government Award. Um,
1: It is in partnership with the Knowledge Transfer Network, or KTM for short, and the Princess Trust. And it's all about encouraging young entrepreneurs from 18 to 30-year-olds to get their ideas from that little bit of napkin or paper, uh, from idea to actually, you know, something sustainable. Um, so yeah, I've actually applied for it, I think, uh, September 2020. And then I think I was turning 30 in the November, so I just got in. Um, and it, it was such, a, it was fantastic. It's been an amazing experience. So as part of that award, you get uh, two days living allowance uh, for the week. Um, and then you also get uh, two, like, I think it's two days a month, which you can do over half days in support, um, which I think in all honesty was the big thing for me, because it meant that I got to sit down with somebody who is a professional in making businesses and look at all the stages of what we've done so far, think about our market awareness, uh, think about how we're going to, um, you know, our growth market strategy, how we're going to raise finance and um, as a developer those are skills that I do not have like so it was really really invaluable to have that um, and I'd recommend anyone go
0: for it Mm, that's amazing what's been the biggest lesson learned do you think from there I can imagine it's quite a long list from what you've said but if you had to like pick out the top three gems I
1: think it's don't be afraid to network
0: um which
1: I probably before this, would not necessarily go and approach people if my idea wasn't 100%. So we're still at the moment building our product, uh, but we've started talking to people already about uh, potentially doing partnerships and things like that. So um, it's a cliche, but you know, it's never too early to start talking to people, I think is definitely one. Um, two is um, having a good spreadsheet love a good spreadsheet um so we, we learned I learned a lot about uh you know profit and loss and cash flow um and again things that I hadn't really um uh, done before and then number three I suppose trust your instincts um
0: yeah I think that's that's Definitely number three. There's some great lessons learned. Thank you for sharing, Melanie. And this, of course, ties into my code kit. So, please, can you tell us more about the mission here? So, my code kit is the company that I co-founded.
1: Um, we're on a mission to bring equal education opportunities to everyone, um, and this is starting with our coding product called Uco Box. So, that's the product that we're building at the moment. OcoBox is a Python coding tool with an AI learning assistant, and it's all about doing growth mindset approach. So it's that thing of um, you've not got there, but you've not got there yet. Whilst also translating uh, error messages for young people into something that is more tangible, but important. More importantly, not hiding it so they can take those skills forward. Um, yeah, it's it's a product which you know we want to make sure that. All everybody can get into coding with that confidence. So it's all about that
0: confidence there. What was some of the other inspirations behind launching my Code Care? So
1: I, as I mentioned, so I
0: went to university,
1: and um, and it was to
0: become a teacher. So it actually
1: came from um, my experience being in the classroom. So there was things that I saw there. Like I used to teach a multi ability class, and you had some students there that really really passionate about coding and really really wanted to do well but they just didn't have the resources or the time to be able to um approach that so like one student in particular who i always think of when i think of Box, i put on extra sessions for them you know to try and help them out and to try and get them to the point where they wanted to be but they couldn't come because they had to go home and look after siblings like it, it's just you know unfortunately the way that it is for some people and then when they went home, they didn't have, everything was laptop based or computer based. So it's really important that Box is multifunctional, it's multi-device so that we can make sure that even if there's just a mobile phone at home, that you're still able to be able to code and things like that. Um, but yeah, it really was, when I, when I did my teaching degree and was teaching class, it really opened my eyes to that digital divide that really, that exists in classrooms at the moment and is even more so
0: because of COVID now. Um, So, yeah, that's a big driver for us. It's great that you can leverage your experience from both sides of the coin as well, from actually being in tech, from the educational piece, because you've seen the gaps. If I think about when I was back at school... um, I didn't have the chance to do computer science specifically like for GCSEs but my sister is now at the point where she's choosing her options and I saw computer science there and that for me was like okay we're making progress we're getting there but it's still demystifying I think the the stereotypes that surround computer science what it looks like and my code kit sounds like an incredible tool to really help break down those barriers as well so what are you excited about for my code kit moving forward what's on the agenda So we've just won some funding, which is great, which is fantastic
1: news. So like the immediate excitement is obviously using that to be able to build the product um, and get it into schools in a safe way. Um, But the really, what I'm really excited about is this being the start of something. So going back to our our mission and our vision of equal education opportunities for all, um, I really want to build coding tools for children with special education needs um, to enable them to be able to experience it just the same as everybody else. So that that's the big plan, is this is the start of creating products for coding.
0: That's amazing. What kind of research would you need to dive
1: into? So I think a lot is actually talking to real people, real people in those situations, and, and seeing how they use the tools. Working in education sector before, in one of my previous jobs, like there's, there's a real sort of mixed bag of either the uh, tools are too childish, or they're too difficult. So it's, it's making sure that we're going out, and we're doing that user research and getting in front of people and seeing what it is they actually want rather than going and just giving something and hoping for the best. Um, that's one thing that Merit is, again, is, is one of our values is making sure that we're learner first. So making sure that we are creating a product which actually adds value to the learner. So again, making sure it's, we're getting it in front of people, working with universities and doing research um,
0: to enable that really. Sounds like a great approach. What do you enjoy the most about being a co-founder? I think it's the fact that I have somebody to bounce
1: ideas off. Um, I could be quite erratic um, and quite and make some, you know, very quick decisions. Um, and Mia, uh, who's my co-founder, is a lot calmer, and she is the one who is usually saying, "No, Mel, we can't spend all our money on that. Let's." silly um so it, it's yeah it's having someone to bounce ideas off but having somebody that compliments me so well or compliment each other so well um you just don't feel like you know being an entrepreneur and having a business can be quite lonely especially when like going back to what i was saying about the support that we've had from innovate uk i you know I'm getting better but I am an educator and I'm a developer when it comes to business that is you know I've worked in businesses and small startups um a very small teams, but actually running a business is quite new um so yeah having someone there um and having someone to say no to me is quite useful
0: how did you find your co-founder out of interest is she somebody that you've known for a long time or how did that come about so i used to run a group when i was at university called robogals sussex
1: which is another great charity and they take university students and each university has its own uh, sector and they go into primary schools and secondary schools with robots and different things and try and spread the message of stem it's very lovely um and when I was running that, one of my friends introduced me to Mia and said, I've met this person, you're going to get on like a house on fire. And they went wrong because next thing you know, I was speaking at her wedding and we did in, indeed get on like a house on fire. Um, yeah, so we met that way. We were friends. We both kind of went into the education
0: room. We both were really passionate about coding and... The rest is history. That's amazing. It's it's really nice, I think, when you have that connection on a friendship level. But then when you go into being more of a business relationship as well, had you noticed any changes, any challenges at all? Because I feel like you do sometimes see a different side to someone, maybe at times, and you know, it's a different environment, different mentality. Definitely, definitely. And and like don't get me wrong, there are horror stories of starting
1: businesses with friends. Like we've all read them. Um but I think something that me and Mia did from right at the beginning, which was really nice, is set those boundaries. Um, so there was an example, even like, I think it was yesterday. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm trying to buy a house. Uh, so that kind of ends up feed, you know feeding into a lot of our conversations at the moment. And um, we were talking on Google Chat. And uh, Mia, straight away, I get a little ping on my phone, my WhatsApp's gone, she goes, this is a friend conversation, I'm moving it. So it's just being really clear. So like when we first started, and we were a lot better at this now, but when we first started, we said, right, okay, we need to sit down and think about when, where, what's appropriate and what channel, like if I call you in between these hours, you know, we've got a catch up, that's work. But if I message you on WhatsApp, that's friend talk, and we're gonna talk about, you know, normal stuff. Um, Yeah. And and something we've recently done as well is actually have a look at our roles and figure out, because that was something we found quite difficult, is um, almost that stepping on toes a little bit of trying to figure out who does what. Um, And now we've really kind of uh, had a look at it and we now have very set roles of, right, Okay, I'm going to look at this and you're going to look at that. And it's not to say that I don't get involved with Mia's side or she doesn't get involved with mine. But she's the project manager of that
0: side and, you know, everything goes through her. And it's just respecting that. Yeah, I think that's fantastic that you have found that formula that works for you. And obviously everyone is individual, case by case, different personalities. But if you, I guess, went back to when you were starting My Code Kit, what kind of traits would you look for in a co-founder?
1: Well, I think about like who me and Mia want to bring on next, um, which is, you know, we're a small team, we're a team of two. Um, I think it's finding somebody that doesn't just agree with you all the time, finding someone that, you know, is uh, not argumentative, but challenges you because it's very easy to sit there and go, yep, yep, yep. And then it goes back to that, you know, assumptions, doesn't it? Like, oh, we're assuming that we're making this fantastic thing because we've, we've never challenged each other or had anyone else challenge us. Um, but it's also having someone... Just describing Mia now but it's just having someone there that's passionate about it as well like i don't know like, i'm obviously very passionate about education and coding mia so much more than me like i don't know how anyone can be even any more passionate about coding and education than mia is um so yeah i think that is going to drive you forward um a lot and obviously there is like the business skills and things like that but if you've got the business skills and not the passion you're not going to continue, are you? And and starting a startup is a, a long process. Like there's, it's like the iceberg analogy. I love a good analogy today. Uh, but it's like the iceberg, isn't it? When you start a startup, what you see is like the very tip, but there's all this like years of work that go on underneath it. And if you're not passionate
0: about it and excited about it, you're never going to see it through. There's this concept as well that in in hiring, you know, recruitment, for example, things like ambition, grit. Passion, drive, you you can't sometimes teach these, they have to come from within, but the skills you can, and it's very similar when it comes to starting a new business, right, you can, you can learn the, the business skills, you can watch videos online, you can get mentors, you can learn in this area, but the passion is the main thing and uh, yeah what you're saying actually really resonates with me with my co-founder Jonathan who I'm super lucky to have and is a true ally for everything I've been doing as well so yeah it's just really interesting to share stories on um, your journey to being a co-founder what were some of your initial fears and how did you overcome them? I suppose with being a co-founder especially being a
1: co-founder with someone that you are so close with um, there is always going to be that fear of you know what if it all goes wrong? What if we completely fall out? It's like when you move in with your best friends, like, we, we've all had that moment, we've gone, oh, no, have we done the right thing? Um, Because it is a very different dynamic, like we've made it work uh, by putting those strict boundaries in and really kind of defining what we do. But that that was, I think, for both of us, um, was a big part of it.
0: Um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I can relate. Um, I think, if I think about like my own journey I had this like real fear of judgment so yeah. when I launched Equal IT I had only recently got a mortgage and things like that so was getting a lot of judgments I think from people are you sure this is the right time are you sure you should be doing this but it's just following your gut and you know in yourself if you've got the right person to drive it forward with you and you've got the passion you've got the the mission that you're striving for so just really go with your gut and don't necessarily pay attention to other people people's judgments
1: yeah no I definitely agree with that like I look at um we regularly have moments where we uh celebrate the small stuff um because I I think sometimes you can get a bit carried away with oh but we're not quite there we're not quite there it's like a bit like coding isn't it which is what we're trying to do with Occupox is you know is it's that encouragement to experiment you do experiment a lot when you start a company um and I think about like where we are now Compared to where we were, you know, two years ago or when we first had the idea, we've come so far. And like we have a much better understanding of what it is that we're building. Um, and I, I think all of that was possible by, you know, having trust in each other, making sure that we're celebrating each other, you know, uh, very regularly we turn around and go, we're great, aren't we? We're actually brilliant. Like, and I know that sounds really like maybe a little bit big headed or something, but I think especially coming in, um, both of us suffered with imposter syndrome. Both of us were thinking, can we make a business? Is this possible? Or are we just completely over our heads? So we do need those moments of going, actually, you know, what we're doing and what we're achieving is great. And we should
0: be proud of ourselves. I'm totally right with the imposter syndrome, just having that thought of like, who am I to launch a business? What what do I know? Like, how, how can I be a co-founder, right? And um, I guess like yourself, Melanie, you haven't looked back since.
1: No. Like, I honestly, I think I say on a weekly basis,
0: I wish I'd done it years ago. Like, I really do. Yeah, I, I can totally relate. The best decisions always made in hindsight. Remember that, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you finalise business ideas? What kind of approach do you take here?
1: We are a remote first business. Um, I myself are in London, He is in Brighton. Um, so a lot of the time we're actually online and a lot of stuff is done asynchronously. Um, but if we have a big decision, we will actually book out a space and do something like the uh, Google Ventures design sprint, but do like a condensed version of it because we are still both working to pay our bills whilst we're doing this. Um, but it's, it's having those moments. Because we're both ex-teachers, we're actually really good at workshopping. Like, so when we're doing things like, you know, a design sprint, which is where you start with a question, which is how might we do X? Then you evaluate those to see which ones are most important based on insights that you've had from customers. Um, then you go on to some fire designs and then you do Quick quickfire prototype and then you get it in front of somebody. Um, and it's supposed to happen over, I think it's five to seven days, but we kind of condense that and put it into two. Um, and then apart from that, like I say, like the the whole uh, workshopping, me did a great workshop about values. Um, she had like this Google flipboard that she uses with her students and it, yeah, it's just um, lots and lots of again, it's structure, but trying to make it a, a little bit more fun and making sure we are making time to have those like full-on days with each other because we
0: are remote and a lot of what we do is async you mentioned that you're still working full-time so how do you keep motivated how do you keep energized on this journey of being a co-founder and managing work life being a co-founder well, I'm, I'm part-time,
1: so I, I don't work full-time. Um, and that is something that I wish I'd done years ago, um, is actually going part-time. And the company that I work for, um, they're called Be Applied. Um, they're really supportive and they're fantastic. So um, the, I've got that flexibility there. Like if I need to go to uh, an education fair, like it's the bet show this week, not the gambling one, the education one, um, I, can, you know, I can rearrange my days so I can do that. Um, in terms of keeping motivated I think it goes back to that celebrating so things aren't always going to move as quickly as you like uh, even if we were full-time that you know coding has taught me that that n- nothing ever goes to plan you've, you know you've got to double it and double it again in terms of estimates Um, but yeah it's celebrating the small things and we actually have um on miro a timeline of the the past year which we started doing when we won the award um in order to show like each indi- like little individual bit, so we can go back and have a look at what we're doing um and I, I do believe that we're building something that is going to change coding and the way that it's taught in schools so i think that in itself
0: is a massive motivator really important that you're just celebrating like we say your successes and finding that motivation to keep going and throughout your journey as well. You've also in the past, like, hosted different workshops, the introduction to Python course for beginners. With that in mind, what key pieces of advice can you share for a beginner pursuing technology? Don't get bogged down
1: in the details. So, I think what I've seen a lot of, and I'm particularly talking about uh, coding, I know tech is a lot more than coding, which I think is important to point out as well. Um, But in in terms of coding i think i've seen it a lot where you kind of go oh should i learn javascript or php or python or any of the i'm not gonna keep language name dropping but any of those and in all honesty it really doesn't matter because what you're learning to begin with is how to write an algorithm how to write an if statement what's a variable um and that's transferable it doesn't matter how you do it like they, they actually teach coding now from uh four years old they have done since 2014 in schools and they start with what's an algorithm um and they do things like the teacher will pretend to be a robot and the kids all have to say um you know robot uh, to make a jam sandwich or something and the kids then have to give them the instructions that's coding like it, that's not a language um I actually did it with my year sevens once and I had jamming my badge for a good six months um, which was great fun um, but it's it's yeah so don't get bogged down in like particulars um, the other thing that I would advise is find a project that you are interested in and um, so I'm a big fan of automating everything my house everything like I'm, I'm, I'm quite lazy I'm not lazy but I'm you know efficient we'll go with that and um, so there is a great website called AutomateTheBoringStuff.com, um, and it's all about uh, little projects. Again, doesn't particularly matter about language, but little projects that you can do that will make your life easier. And I find with something like that, um, you know, there's a benefit for you at the end rather than making like you know a to-do uh, list or something like that. Um, but it's, it's something that's small enough for you to actually finish it but also bigger enough to actually challenge you and for you to be keep your interest in. And I think, yeah, finding something like
0: that really is a game changer. Just small hobby projects, keeping yourself busy, keep ticking away at it. And outside of coding, what other skills do you feel you really learn as a developer?
1: So I think, like, again, going back to the house hunting stuff, I'm a little bit of a detective now. So I'm actually like, and, and I don't think a lot of people... I'm going to say something really silly now, but I'm really good at Googling. Um, and that's what I mean by being a detective. And that's a real skill in itself. Um, so it's it's just meant that like with the house stuff, like, you know, if I need to find planning permissions or when a house was built or anything, like I'm really good at or a contract for a previous thing that there's just a tiny preview on one website because it's been SEO cached or whatever. Um, so I'm quite good at that which is a quite a transferable skill. Um, but yeah, I and again, I think the big one, um, apart from being a detective, um, is resilience. It's made me a very resilient person um, because <laughs> I spend so much of my time Googling, stuff not working, stuff breaking,
0: um, yeah, and just trying to figure it out. Do you think that resilience is something that, I guess... You, you can grow, you can learn in that sense, or it has to really come from within? Do you think there's, like, tools that you can use to work on resilience?
1: I think so. I think, like, I've not always been a super resilient person. I've definitely not always had that growth mindset, which is uh, Carol Dweck's uh, research of, you know, you're not there yet. Um, But it's something... I think a lot of mine has come down to situations So going back to where my you know, my career started. I was 17 years old. I was pushed into a room. Um, it was fight or flight. It was, in my eyes, it wasn't like this. And if you go back and ask my boss, he'd be like, no, 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 no. It definitely wasn't like this. But in my eyes, as a 17-year-old, it was, you do this or you're fired. So I think I kind of had to learn the resilience a little bit there um, and just keep going. Um, but that's, that's not to say that I sit here and very happily just go, everything's going wrong, la la la. Like, I I don't, like, I'm I'm very human. Um, But I think in terms of of tools that you can use, again, um, I'm going to go coding specific here because that's what I know. Um, But there are some great resources out there. So there's uh, Code Wars, for example, which is all about uh, you get given a very tiny problem and then you have to fix it uh, or you have to uh, solve the problem and then what's really nice about it and the bit that I like which is all about the resilience side of it is it will then show you all the different ways that other people did it so if you're ever sat there going this can't be this can't be right it's that constant reminder that coding is different like it it, like there are so many different solutions it's not like when you're speaking um, a language like there's only one right answer to a sentence you know like it said this way or nothing at all um I think that's yeah that's
0: quite a nice tool so it's called
1: code wars
0: I've never heard of that tool before so thank you for sharing um sounds really valuable to yeah like understand that everyone has a different approach a different way of doing things and that's okay you can still get the same answer but everyone is unique and that's why diversity thrives and why it's so important diverse ways of thinking and problem solving How can you overcome that question of, am I good enough? You mentioned imposter syndrome that you've experienced. I speak to so many who also go through this and there are points in our career where we sit there and we say, can can we do this? Am am I capable? What's worked for you? So I,
1: I thought this was a really good question because it's also a question that I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer because it's, as I said, it's something that I'm still going through um and a lot of it has just come with time a lot of uh i I hate the phrase but it's the fake it till you make it type thing um in terms of how to overcome that imposter syndrome i think internally i'm not sure i've done anything i think it's externally so i'm part of a group called found and flourish which is a community of entrepreneurs um and they have a really nice way of kind of lifting you up and being a support network and then i've had um, with innovate uk i've had my business mentor who's been with me literally every tuesday for a year again helping me get past that and just pushing me forward and and there's always been people in my life i'm very fortunate that across the way that a lot of people have believed in me and i think a lot of overcoming it is finding that network which is a little bit of a cop-out answer because I, you know, I'm even thinking it myself now, like, but what if I don't have that network? What if I don't have that support of people around me? And I think one thing that I've, I learned in a previous job was it's okay not to be in this situation. So I had, um, a, a previous role, which didn't necessarily, uh, it, it kind of fed my imposter syndrome a little bit. Um, and I eventually just went, I'm done. I, I don't need to work here like it, it's okay for me to say i value myself more than that and i value uh what people think of me so i'm going to go somewhere where people think actually better of me and i and that's where i am now where i work part-time um so i think yeah i think it's it's about that network but in terms of tools and how i got over it i, I really don't think i'm qualified to answer the question
0: <laughs> Do you know what I, I, is anyone right no <laughs> We still can go for imposter syndrome, even if we're the most confident person in the world, there can still be that thought that creeps up. So there's, I genuinely feel there's no right or wrong answer in here. But your story and and the things that have worked for you could really help someone else as well. So don't for a second, I think that you're not qualified, because I don't think anyone is to give like the specific, this is the winning formula. Because Everyone is different as well, right? Um, I think that actually with the imposter syndrome, a lot of the time it's your inner self trying to protect yourself. So you have to just acknowledge, you know, thanks for having my back, but don't worry, I've got this and this is the reasons why. And just back back it up with facts. You, you know your strengths. Speak to your friends, your family, like you said, and they can reinforce those strengths. Something that I listened to on a workshop, On the imposter syndrome, I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd, Melanie. There is a scene on one of the Harry Potter movies where Neville Longbottom is using the ridiculous charm and effectively it turns your fear into something quite laughable and quite funny. And what they were saying is just envision that being your imposter syndrome. Just say ridiculous to your imposter syndrome. Try and turn it into something a little bit lighthearted. And you know, reinforce that you're great and this is the reasons why. And ever since I've had those feelings, I just like think of Harry Potter and ridiculous. And it kind of like distracts my imposter syndrome in a way. So that's uh, one way to look at it. I like that. I think I'll try that out. What for you has been the best piece of career advice that you've ever received. Oh, that's a good question. Um so I think the best
1: piece of career advice is don't work for free. Um but in all um in all seriousness, like I think it easy goes back to that, don't undervalue yourself. Like I do think as uh, women, we generally think, we generally go for a job interview and in, unless we've got all the skills on the job description, we wouldn't go for it. Like again, undervaluing ourselves or when we're going for pay rises or, or even starting jobs, we'll go in with our starting roles, which um, I know for myself, and I can only obviously speak for myself, have been sometimes lower. Um, and again, it's that, that case of I've undervalued myself when there really was no need to so I think yeah obviously the the essence of it is do not work for free but you know whatever work that you're doing for somebody um if they are coming to you because you've got those skills your skills are worth something your opinion
0: is worth something thank you Melanie for sharing that's so valuable and it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you we're so glad to have you on Equal Inspired and can't thank you enough for your time
1: Oh, thank you very much. I'm I'm so excited to be here, and yeah, big fan of everything that you're doing. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode, and we hope you're feeling inspired. If you are, please feel free to like, share, subscribe, and join us on our mission to create a diverse, inclusive, and equitable universe. This podcast is brought to you by Equal IT, a mission-driven business working to diversify tech teams through a refined talent acquisition complemented by diversity and inclusion consulting. As an Azure Heroes inclusive leader, we aim for teams to cultivate a strong sense of belonging and equity. Find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. We welcome your feedback, questions, and would love to hear from you. Join us next time on Equal Inspired.